Beloved, our scripture reading from this morning is coming from the Gospel of Mark. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 7. And we're going to read together starting at verse 1 through verse 30. chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to or holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But eat bread with unwashed hands. He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. The washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is, a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. And many such things you do. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus 
purifying all foods. And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it. But he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him. And she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, Go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. This is the word of God. (coughs) Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, It is my privilege and joy to speak to you this morning in the name of our great God. And I do so from this passage in Mark's gospel that we just read, uh, these last verses, verses 24 through verse 30, where we read of the story or the encounter of Jesus, our Lord, and this uh, woman, this Greek woman from Syrophoenicia. Now, you may be asking yourself, why does this visiting minister pick this passage to uh, preach here this morning? Well, mainly because I'm preaching through the Gospel of Mark in my church, and I had just preached this text. uh, But I've come to absolutely love this text. Um, This passage shows us so clearly what it means to be a Christian, to trust in the mercy of Jesus Christ. One of the things about going through the Gospels that I've appreciated and that is helpful for us as we look at the Gospel here this morning, it's what I call Christ uh, appreciation. What do I mean by Christ appreciation? I was in the Marine Corps, and in the Marine Corps, in one of the platoons I was in, I was a pig. I, I I was one of these little dogs, you might say. I wasn't a hog. I wasn't in the privileged position. So I was a pig, and the, and the hogs let the pigs know they were pigs. And usually, or not usually, but often around three or four on a Friday afternoon when you're expecting to get off and enjoy a little bit of weekend liberty, 
The hogs would come around and say, put on your camis or ghillie suits and go run up the mountain. And for the next few hours, they would quiz us on the doctrine, all the things we should be learning as infantrymen, and thrashing us mercilessly. And uh, Sergeant Torres, my first team leader, informed me, what was this all about? He called it weekend appreciation. (laughs) Appreciating, Appreciating the weekend. We gather, beloved, this morning as a people who once weren't the people of God. I'm sure many of us here have Gentile backgrounds. And we gather as God's people. We gather as these beloved children who enjoy the ministry of Jesus Christ. But that wasn't always the case. And so what this sermon is about this morning for us is to remind us both where we came from, once a people not belonging to God, and what we are now and how we are to maintain that. And that is through the faith like this woman. Paul reminds us in Romans 11 that we were a wild olive shoot grafted in to the vine of Jesus Christ. He tells us, don't boast if the Jewish people have been knocked off and you've been grafted because you don't uphold the root. The root upholds you and you stand by faith. Well, part of this sermon this morning is what does it mean then to stand by faith? And it looks like what we see here in the gospel uh, this morning. I imagine for some of you too, it, it might, this seems a little weird. Because we're not used to thinking Greek and Gentile. But we're used to what Paul talks about and we rejoice in the kingdom of God that it's open to anybody who repents and believes in Jesus Christ. So there's no longer these distinctions of skin color and where you were born and, and nationality and etc. But we are one people of God and Jesus Christ. And so if it seems strange going back to this and having to think in terms of these hard lines between Greek and Jew, I tell you that's a good thing. That means the gospel of Jesus Christ has taken root in our hearts and the kingdom of God is understood by us. This is a wonderful thing that we look at this and think, wow, this is a bit strange that our Lord would speak in such terms or the people thought of this because we're so used to enjoying the gospel that there is mercy for all who trust in Jesus Christ. And that really is the theme this morning which we read from Romans chapter 10 as our call to worship. What we see here, we see many things, but the things focus your attention on is there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile, but the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you knew me ten years ago, you would never have asked me to fill this pulpit. Guido Debris, correct? That's the man who wrote the Belgic Confession. I remember reading a bit of his story when I was serving in a mission trip in Quebec, and the pastor there informed me of his history. And when he was taken under by the Roman Catholics, and he said, I often had opportunity to preach to my people about God's providence. <laughs> and now I'm learning how to trust in these doctrines I preach. One of the joys I find in proclaiming this passage to you this morning It's one of those that I preach it out of knowing it. 
I know what it is to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive his mercy. I know it is to not be of the people of God and to find mercy from Christ and now be a privileged child at his table. So I get to preach this one out of what it is, as I'm sure many of you know what it is, to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I'm sure many pastors preach to you. They all do it different. I'm just going to go looking at this verse by verse, so you'll be able to follow me very easily if you have your Bibles opened up before you as we just uh, look at this passage. Now, I mentioned to you something about uh, the context. Let me say something about the context. And first also, let me say, kind of put the big picture. This is the first time in the gospel that Jesus leaves uh, the land of the Jews and makes this trip into the territory of Gentiles. This is not uh, Jewish territory, but Gentile territory. And part of what he's doing here is he's instructing his apostles in the meaning of the kingdom of God that he has been preaching to them for a year and a half going on two years. This is at the end of Jesus' second year of ministry. He's about to enter his final year of ministry. In less than a year, he will be fulfilling his work as our Redeemer and suffering on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And that what, this, what he's beginning to put in the apostles' minds, because he knows what work he has to call them to, that salvation doesn't belong just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. That this woman who comes to Jesus, as we just read in these verses in in Mark 7, according to the Pharisees and rulers of the day, she is the furthest thing there is from salvation. But in the eyes of the Lord, she's a prime candidate because she has faith in Jesus Christ. It's important where Mark puts this, these, gen- these religious leaders whom Jesus was sent to minister to them the gospel, to preach repentance to them, well, they didn't want his ministry. They worshiped God in vain. They didn't want Jesus calling them back to the law and prophets. They had all their traditions. They cared more about washing the outward of the cup. They didn't care about changing their hearts and the desires of their hearts. They set their worship of God, even though they're the Jewish people of God, their worship of God, Jesus says, is really idol worship. It's in vain. Because you take the teachings of men, you say God is your God, but that's as far as your honor and worship of Him goes. Because when it comes down to actually obeying Him, you don't do it. But you find ways to make His word have no effect in your life. And you are entirely, as Jesus taught here in his teaching, beginning to expose to the people, opening up the idea that this distinction between Jew and Gentiles, according to the dietary restrictions under the law, under the Levitical priesthood, which is right and good as God gave it, teaching the people they are to be holy even in what they ate because they are set apart to God, Trusting in that alone for what it meant to draw near to God and not caring to wash the inside of his cup. So Jesus is already, you might say, sort of going contra the culture and beginning to take away one of the chief barriers that separated Jews and Gentiles at that time, and that is these dietary restrictions. And then we get this story 
uh, here in verse beginning at verse 24. We read that Jesus left the house that he was speaking privately to his own disciples in. And he goes uh, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Josephus, a contemporary of Jesus, who wrote a history of the Jewish people, says even in Jesus' own day, these people of Tyre and Sidon were the most bitter enemies of the Israelites. So Jesus is going into an area that the Jews consider to be the most bitter enemies. If you remember uh, your Bible history, uh, from this very region of Tyre and Sidon uh, was introduced into Israel the worship of Baal. King Ethbal, whose daughter was Jezebel, married King Ahab and turned the hearts of God's people away. And that had been going on for many uh, centuries. So this woman would have grown up in idolatrous Baal worship as a Greek, calling on other gods, uh, suppressing the truth, as Paul says. But part of this story is her turning from those idols to trust in the Lord. So Jesus goes to this region, but we see here in verse 24, he's not going there for a public ministry. He intentionally goes to this area, and he doesn't want anybody to know about it. Why doesn't he want anybody to know about it? He wants to minister to his disciples. He has now been for a number of days, if not weeks, trying to give them rest. He sent them out on their first missionary journey where they went out and preached repentance, cast out demons, and made the name of Jesus spread even more throughout the land of Galilee. And Jesus wanted to give them rest, and he tried to give them rest, but the people followed him, and he had compassion on him, and he fed the 5,000. And then he came back over, and he got in this dispute with the Pharisees. So here is an opportunity for Jesus to take his disciples, to give them uh, rest and refreshment, and to give them some much-needed teaching on the kingdom of God. Because as is evident by this encounter with the religious leaders, his ministry is not having the effect it was intended to have by God. Jesus was meant to be the glory of the people of Israel. They were meant to receive him as their Messiah and trust in him and make him known to the nations. And rather what they do is they turn him over to the Gentiles to be crucified. Well, part of this story that Mark is letting us see here is even though Jesus going into a land that's not the land of the Jews, you think it might be easy to keep himself concealed. He can't hide himself. And why can't he hide himself? Because the word of his fame has already spread into this region. Back in Mark chapter 3, verse 8, uh, when Jesus already had his first dispute with the Pharisees and went to the Sea of Galilee, uh, we read that people from all around the region. People from Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, those from Tyre and Sidon. People from Tyre and Sidon and a great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. Jesus can't keep himself concealed because people from Tyre and Sidon have seen his miracles. They've already seen the Lord Jesus cast out demons. They've seen the Lord Jesus heal the sick. They've heard him proclaim the kingdom of God. And it is possible, Mark doesn't tell us, that this woman could have been part of that party that had gone down and witnessed these things herself. Or people had gone back and told her of, this, of, of the things that Jesus Christ is doing. And you could imagine how her ears would have been pricked, either by, her, either by seeing for her own eyes or hearing from these reports that there is this Jewish man in Israel 
who cast out demons by the, by the very just word of his mouth. Anybody that comes to him, hundreds of people, thousands of people are coming to him. Thousands of Israelites, people from the regions even around it are coming to Jesus Christ. And he's casting out demons in this little, or this woman who has a demon or a child possessed by a demon. You can imagine how this would have caught her attention. Read next there in verse 24. This woman we've already mentioned with unclean spirit, how she had heard about him. She came and fell at his feet. That's a posture of reverence, dependence. Basically at the end of the road, right? If Jesus doesn't help me and if I don't get help here, right, where else am I going? This fits into part of her story of her faith that, that this Greek woman would come to this Jewish man and prostrate herself before him and beg of his mercy. Have you ever found yourself in such need, such help, desiring and wanting something that this woman doesn't have any pride left in her? She comes and casts herself at Jesus' feet. Mark makes a point. Remember, Mark is writing this account of his gospel to Christians living in Rome, many of them Gentiles, who would have been encouraged and loved to hear this story of this woman very early coming to Jesus Christ and receiving mercy from him. She was a Greek, as I already mentioned. That means she's not a Jew. She's a truth-suppressing, idolatrous woman who's completely unclean and cannot approach God according to the Levitical law and the priesthood that was still in effect, but was to be removed out of the way when Jesus gave his sacrifice. And this woman, Mark tells us, was born in Syrophoenicia. That is northwest of the Promised Land. That's the land of Lebanon today. Matthew tells us she was a Canaanite. What's a Canaanite mean? <laughs> she belonged to the accursed people of uh, the people accursed of God that were kicked out of the land, that should have been exterminated, shouldn't have been any Canaanites left living. And here's a Canaanite woman. Mark is painting the picture. This is not just any Jew, or we might say today, this isn't just a non-Christian. This is a non-Christian of a non-Christian. This is a Gentile of a Gentile. This is someone, again, the furthest thing you would expect from the hope of salvation. And she comes to the Lord Jesus Christ and kept asking Jesus uh, to heal, to take this demon from him. So that's, that's the context of the story. Our Lord trying to have some rest and refreshment to teach his disciples. But opening in his, I mean, you can imagine they're sitting together in a room, probably at table, having discussion about their ministry. He's been looking for an opportunity to speak to them about the things they've been teaching and learning, to give them instruction. And here comes a woman amidst of at least 13 men, there's 12 apostles, and Jesus, and falls on her feet before the Lord and begs mercy from him. And you can imagine the disciples are watching and going, what do you do here? What should be done? Well, here we get then into verse 27, and we get Jesus' words to this woman. 
He says to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Why would Jesus speak to this woman like that? If this woman had been an Israelite, he would have got up, gone with her, and healed and cast out that demon as he has done hundreds of times, if not thousands of times, to the children of Israel. They are having, as Jesus says here, a veritable feast. They are receiving the ministry of Christ in abundance. Able to bring, I mean, how many of you would love to take your sick right to Jesus and be healed instantly? Take your demon-possessed child to Jesus and be cast out. Again, part of this is remembering where we've come from as a people, out from under the hand of Satan out from under the hand or the kingdom of darkness and under the kingdom of Christ and the lordship of Jesus Christ. So the Jewish children are feasting down in Israel and just 20 miles away, darkness and nothing of this sort happening. And you're reading about daily accounts of people being healed from demon possession, healed, and here you are and you have this little girl who is... Matthew says, greatly oppressed by a demon. I don't know what the difference between oppressed and greatly oppressed is. Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. God makes us holy and upright when he first breathed his spirit into us in creation. But you get the picture of what it is to be possessed by an unclean spirit, something entirely opposite of who God is. Defiling and defacing the image of God in this little girl. Often they would make her deaf or mute not have control over her body, be thrown about, harm herself, self-harm. I can imagine the absolute misery of this mother seeing this in her child and feeling entirely powerless, unable to do anything. And we don't even know what God she turned to first. We don't know, what, how, we don't know how long this child has had this affliction, where she might have sought help first. But she's hearing the preaching of the gospel 20 miles away. And all of a sudden she catches word that this Jesus has come near to her (laughs) up in this region. And now she's going to stop at nothing to go to him for help. And Jesus says to her, and more or less, not now. (laughs) Let the children... Eat first. Let the Jewish people enjoy my ministry as the Messiah. Now, why is Jesus saying Does he have any warrant to say that? Is he just being mean to this woman? Is he trying to humiliate her? No. This woman's already very humble. But he is making known to her, he is the servant of the Lord. He is marching to the drumbeat that God, his heavenly Father, gave him. And God the Father sent him to the Jewish people and to the lost sheep of Israel. And so he's letting her know, I haven't come here. My intention in coming to this area isn't because I'm going to take the bread from the children and give it to the dogs. I'm not turning from my ministry to the Jewish people. Though in a very short time, they're going to be fed up with him 
and cast him away. But, so Jesus is making clear, I'm not here turning to the Gentile people at this time. And so what you're asking is not a right thing to ask for me to take the children's bread and give it to the little dogs. Now, of course, you've heard and know that to call someone a dog, as it still is today, if it's said in a certain way, is a pejorative term. But Jesus softens it here by calling her a little dog. And I'm sure in the manner in which he spoke it to her took even more of the venom and sting out of it. So why is he speaking to her in this way? I actually think, uh, and your church's history, the Genevan Bible, printed in 1560, gets it right. He is speaking to this woman the way in which the Jews and the people and even his apostles saw it in their own day. You remember how hard it took uh, Peter to get that God has cleaned everything. Peter, you need to eat and not call filthy what God has called filthy. Peter, you need to share the gospel uh, with the Gentiles. Jesus is speaking to this woman in the way in which uh, the Jewish people re referred to them as the children of God, and they had every right to do so. God, the, God calls them their father in the Old Testament, and they his children, and they call the Gentile people dogs. But you have to love this woman's response. And I think this is why, more than anything, Jesus speaks in this language of, of the day, if you will. I think he's putting her faith on display to his apostles. I think Jesus knows the faith that this woman have and the way she's come. And she wants the apostle, he wants his apostles. They don't know it yet. They don't know in only a few years they're going to be going out and sharing this gospel across the world to see what does saving faith look like? What does it look like to trust in uh, the Messiah, to trust in Jesus Christ? And it looks like this, this woman's response is remarkable. And Jesus rewards her and gives her what he wants for her remarkable response. And what's so remarkable about her response? She says, I am not here because I think I have any right to this. I'm not here saying, who cares about God's chosen people? Who cares about the history of God's redemption and his scriptures and him fulfilling it? And you need to let the dogs eat first. I can imagine this woman going back and sharing this story with her friends, her girlfriends or something. He said, what to you? And you let him call you a dog? And you didn't say anything and you just said meekly, yes, Lord? Because that's the only response. Jesus is... Most of Israel at this time sees Jesus as a miracle worker and are coming to him as sort of a genie in the bottle to get what they want from him. And this woman comes to him, and Matthew's account makes it even clearer. She calls Jesus the son of David. That's a messianic title and begs mercy. This woman's coming to him with faith in him as the Messiah. And what the two things that, and this is what I want to stand out, the two things that really mark her response is her humility, but also her hopefulness in the Lord's mercy. You know, her humility is driven by her great need, right? And that should drive our humility before God, is the great need that we can't deliver our own selves out of the sinful mess that we've gotten ourselves in. 
We can't get ourselves out of the power of sin over our lives. We can't get ourselves out of Satan's grasp. We can't free ourselves from these things. And this woman lives with that reality that she can't do anything for her own daughter. And so she is very humble as she comes to Jesus. But her humility is also driven by... She has that faith that penetrates into Jesus that he's more than just a mere man, but he is the Lord. This is the only account Mark tells us in the gospel where somebody actually addresses Jesus as Lord. You would think the Jewish people would address him as Lord. They don't receive him as their Lord. Only this Gentile woman falls on her face. And even when Jesus says words that appear to be saying no to her, she doesn't stomp out in a huff, how dare you call me a dog. She doesn't dispute with him about Gentile rights over against Jewish rights. She doesn't dispute with him about God's plan and sending in his chosen people and sending the Messiah to them and ministering to them and feeding them in abundance. She doesn't dispute any of that. She just says, yes, Lord. But then we see the next part of her faith and of saving faith is persistent. It, is, it remains hopeful in, in Christ's mercy. And where did this hope come from? She's heard the gospel. She's heard there's a Savior down there in Israel who by the word of his mouth can cast out demons. She's heard of God's grace in sending to the world a Savior. And she wants to be part of it. It's the same today. The only thing that gives us any hope is that God declares to us his grace and making known to us a savior that anybody, even this non-Christian of a non-Christian of a non-Christian, can find mercy from Jesus Christ. And so her hope is driven by the things that she's hearing. And that reminds us, your testimony of God's grace to you, even if you've known it from your birth and you grew up in the covenant and you've grown up knowing these things, that is the testimony of God's mercy and grace to you and make known to the people under you to talk about Jesus Christ. It is just talking about Jesus Christ, filling the country about the word of Jesus Christ that people hear this name. You know, we should always remember, this is what the Jewish people didn't understand. They're just as much in need as the same common Savior as that Greek woman. The people around us who look the furthest thing from Christ are, have the same problems we have. And it's talking about how Jesus saves us from those problems, saves us from our sins, that gives them any hope. We know what sin does to people. It drives them away from God. Makes them feel ashamed. Makes them think, I could never receive mercy from the Lord for what I've done. No, that's not true. God says in his word to you is, everyone, everyone, he makes no distinction who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And we see what it looks like this morning to call upon the name of the Lord.
It is this reverent trust and confession that Jesus is the Lord and crying out to him for the salvation that he only can give us. So this woman is humble by her need, being under the power of Satan's kingdom in a situation she can't get herself out of, and humble too because she sees something of the glory of Christ that most people in Jesus' day don't get, that he is God come in the flesh, that he is the Lord. But her faith is hopeful, and it's driven by the gospel that God will forgive freely anybody's sins who hopes in Jesus Christ and his mercy. And so what I wanted to encourage you with today, (laughs) you beloved saints of a very long tradition of knowing God's grace, is to remind you all, you know, who are we today? God's people. We are now the children, right, that sit at Jesus' table and feast weekly by his ordained ministry as he ministers word and sacrament to you through his ministers, Uh, daily, hourly, through the body of Christ as the gifts poured out on all here, as you speak the truth and love to each other and encourage each other and edify the body in love, that you receive the ministry of Christ as your right now given to you because of one thing. You stand by faith. You have received Jesus Christ as Lord. John 1.12 tells us, Jesus came to his own. They didn't receive him. But those who received him, he gave the right to be children of God. That qualifies you to the whole ministry of Jesus Christ that I'm sure many of you have been blessed being signed and sealed with the covenant at your birth grown up in a Christian home under the loving influences of God's spirit and power and parents who call upon Jesus in this manner. You know, the word to you parents, demonstrate this faith to your children. Uh, Jude reminds us, we are still looking for the mercy of our Lord to be revealed at the last day. It's not as just we needed it once in our life. But constantly, every day, we look forward to the mercy of Jesus Christ that brings us eternal life. So model this humble, bringing your needs to Jesus, teaching them to cry out to the Lord, and you children. And this is another reason why I've come to enjoy this passage. I grew up in a church, right? If you remember these verses in in Romans 10, after after he says this, he's going to go on, well, how can they call if nobody's believed? How can they believe if nobody's heard? How can they hear if nobody's preached? How will they preach if nobody's sent? Usually we think, right, the final step is believe. And I wouldn't dispute that if your belief issues into calling upon the Lord. But remember, and this is really getting what the Reformers dealt with, this And they talk about an historic faith. Just believing the truths of the gospel as if they happen isn't enough. That you children as well, you need to grow up and call upon Jesus as your Savior. Know that you have a need too of salvation. You know, these these Jewish children were feasting at the Lord's table in his ministry. But they lost that because they didn't want to hear his call to repentance. They didn't want to trust in a Savior. And so you children, this faith is also for you. This is what it looks like uh, to be saved, humble, and ever hopeful 
and the mercy of Jesus Christ revealed to us in the gospel. So, beloved, you stand by faith, fight the good fight of faith, and take hold of the eternal life that you have been called to when you made that good profession before many witnesses. And may God ever give you his grace to do so. Amen.